arrive here a couple of minutes late. I was actually just having a nap, so I'll be honest, I was uh, not prepared for the show. So if you guys have any questions, just shoot them in the bottom. I don't have anything prepared to say other than in the last week, not much has happened in my world. I've been busy trying to catch up on paperwork. I've been busy trying to catch up on just so many things I've put off. And so the last week's just been pretty much a catch up week. What have I been up to other than that? I think, oh, uh, I'll give you an update. I closed on a sixplex uh, yesterday. So that was exciting in a great area of, of London. Super excited about that one. Um, sold off. Uh, another couple of properties, which again, really happy to have sold off those couple of properties and cashed in more of, of that uh, capital. What else have we been up to uh, in the last week? Oh, I purchased another property as well, um, just a triplex, bought out uh, the other partner, but that one's not a huge deal. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Been uh, just focused on family and, and getting through these, these tough times in this Canadian lockdown. Wished I could be in Somewhere warm right now, but my wife's not uh, about seven, eight weeks and I have my third child. So it's not something that I'm ready to uh, to do to travel right now in the situation that we're in. So yeah, if anyone has any questions, just shoot them down below. Other than that, I don't have anything um, prepared for today. It's whatever questions you guys have, happy to, uh, to share and answer any questions. And then other than that, we'd wrap it up. I know I'm supposed to give like a five, 10 minute preamble, but today, honestly, I just have not been having a good day. I um, woke up exhausted. Oh, I've been battling with the girls at home today. And uh, if those people who have kids, they understand, you know, when you're having a tough day, today's one of those days where I'm just feeling tired. I stayed up way too late. Um, was watching a great show though. If anyone's looking for a, uh, an Amazon Prime TV show recommendation, check out uh, Sneaky Pete. It's pretty decent. We stumbled upon it kind of by accident and it's been great to watch that. And then I was having a couple of property management things going on. My property manager's usually up at two or three in the morning. So I was messaging with them and I just didn't get to sleep early. So anyway, I'll answer a few questions and we'll do a rapid fire Q and A. Hopefully you guys can get all your questions in, in the time and we'll go from there. We'll see where the conversation takes us. LaVar has a question it says, uh, after refinancing, is the mortgage payment amount still the same? Uh, that's a simple question, no. Um, almost always the, re the mortgage payment is going to go up when you refinance. Now, there are situations where you might refinance, pull out more capital, but do it at a better interest rate, in which case your payments could go down. Um, an example of this would be, let's say you had a mortgage, I had an example of this. I had a mortgage with that three and a half percent interest. I refinanced it at the new market rate, which was higher, pulled out an extra six figure tax-free payout, because you're not selling the property, you're just pulling the capital out. And because the interest rates now are, in some cases, sub 2%, it is actually cheaper to take more money out of the property than it was before it had a lesser amount at the higher interest rate. So the lower interest rate can sometimes mean that you have extra money uh, in your pocket and you're still paying less on a monthly basis. So it just depends on the interest rate calculation. But yeah, of course, if you're refinancing and pulling out money and in most cases, the rate's gonna be the same or a little bit lower, you're gonna have a higher overall payment because you're borrowing more money and that's just how that works. Uh, yeah, you pay interest on exactly the amount of which you borrow. If you have a $100,000 mortgage and it's at 3%, expect to pay 3,000 a year in interest. If you have a million dollar mortgage at 3%, expect to pay $30,000 a year in interest. That's exactly how it works. The, re the reason people get confused is because the amortization schedules are such that they defer the payment of principal 
uh, they give you a fixed payment over say 25 years amortization schedule. In the beginning of your schedule, it'll be more interest and less principal pay down. And over time, you'll pay more and more of your principal down. And so it'll be less and less interest as the mortgage balance declines. So that's sort of how that works. Um, yeah, we get confused with that stuff. Vinoy says, can you do private lending with 150,000? Yes, could you invest with $10 if you wanted to? For sure. You just have to find someone who's looking to borrow that amount of capital or you could spread that out over a couple of deals. You could provide three second mortgages at $50,000 a piece and that would be private lending, 50,000, 50,000, 50,000, 150 grand. So you could totally do that. Yeah, 100%. Default says, uh, have you invested in properties outside of Ontario? What is the best way to build a team? Uh, I've invested outside of Ontario once, one property um, outside of Ontario. So it's not my bread and butter, not something I'm experienced with, but given that I don't really deal with my own properties here in London myself anymore, I can explain to you sort of what it's like to have a property manager and what your little team could look like. If you have a small portfolio, your team probably just consists of a property manager, maybe a leasing agent and a contractor and a maintenance guy. That's pretty much it. You might have like a snow removal, grass guy, but for the most part, your your handyman type person is gonna be able to fix most of your basic you know, plumbing stuff, your basic you know, eaves troughs, whatever, they can do all of that. And that's what you wanna find. And of course you wanna have a backup or two in case that person isn't available, but that's basically your your power team, right? So it's just finding those people, go on Kijiji, Facebook Marketplace, and um, trial and error is my favorite way. You know, you get a recommendation from someone, that's another great way. Try them out though. Just because they were great with one person's property might not mean they're great for your property, right? That's what it's about, it's just trial and error. And then once you build the team and you've got them in place, you wanna continually, continually look for backups because people get in and out of property management. It's a terrible business to be in. People you know, get in and out of contracting. It's a hard business to be in. Same with maintenance and all that kind of stuff. So those types of roles are hard to fill and yeah. Cool, next question. LeVar, hello. Yeah, no problem. Um, so yeah, I mean, you can invest outside of where you live. I like to be close by just in case of an emergency. I like to just drive by and check on things myself, but you could have like a, a realtor who is your local um, backup check person, right? That they help you buy the properties and maybe they go and check on the property manager or check on the contractor's work and send you videos and photos. And they do that as an independent kind of third party to verify that the contractor's saying is true or the property manager's saying is true. That's important. Um, even if you're local, you've gotta be checking in on your properties to make sure that they're not pulling the wool over your eyes. Uh, can any business buy real estate on their credit? Well, not any business. I, I think you'd have to have established credit first. You have to have you know, a couple of years of income probably to buy property. But yeah, business in theory, if it had a credit score and it's used that credit facility for some time and developed some sort of um, rapport with the bank and then also has uh, some sort of form of two years of income, then yeah, it could qualify for a commercial uh, mortgage on you know a property. So yeah, you can use a corp to buy and it can be simpler in some cases. If you only have one or two properties, then it can be simpler to do it personally than to do it in the corp, but I can see arguments for both um, scenarios where it can make sense to go either way. Next question. Can you please talk about on this, the paid live stream? I feel like this is my biggest problem since I like to do the paid live stream. I don't really have a paid live stream, it's, it's brief. But I feel like this is my biggest problem since I'd like to do triplex conversion and don't see getting vacant on closing, especially long-term tenants. Um, 
I'm kind of confused about this, but I think you're talking about paying tenants to leave, Mike. Um, getting vacant possession on a property is difficult. You know, oftentimes, unless you're going to occupy the property, tenants, you know, why would they want to move, right? So that's definitely something that is a challenge. And I think that if you have tenants that aren't paying market rents, it's tough to run a business where you're not getting, it's in real estate, it's one of those businesses where like, imagine you were at the grocery store and you're like, hey, I've been buying bread for a dollar forever. So I'm gonna keep going to the grocery store and buying bread for a dollar. It's basic necessity, it's food. I should be able to buy bread for whatever I want a dollar because I always have. That's how tenants sometimes feel with rent. They're like, hey, I've been paying $300 a month in rent for 20 years. I should still have, be able to pay $300 a month and you shouldn't be able to increase my rent and the product should continue to improve over time. I want it to be updated, I want it to be maintained, et cetera and so forth. And I understand all those things come up, rise up in value, like the costs to provide that service are good but I wanna keep paying the same. And that makes no logical sense to any business owner. So of course there comes a time where landlords want to update their properties and they want to bring them into the 21st century and to get a better product, they then can get uh, more rent. So yeah, that, that definitely makes sense. And it's a challenge um, for sure. I think it is a challenge to buy property and to turn it around. And if it was easy, everyone would do it and everyone would make lots of money, right? It's, it's not, it's hard. It's, requires a lot of time and effort and you may have to pay six months rent or something. I'm just throwing out a number. Um, you, you may have to pay, you know, a good sum of money to get a unit vacant and, and that might cost you three, six months rent. That happens all the time in the industry and it can still make sense to do that. To, if the rent, rent is a thousand and the differential between what their market rent could be once you fix the unit up and what they're currently paying in rent, um, in six months, if you can get that back, then that's a great return on investment. Even under a year, if you can get that back, that'd be probably a good return on investment because you get to select your own tenant. And that's key, right? You want to select your customers and you want good customers in your, in your properties. And so, yeah, I mean, tenant selection is important because that's your customer selection. Very, very important. Next one is, hi, Mike, just watching you on Mark's channel. Yeah, go check out uh, Mark Loeffler's, uh, I think it's the Mark Loeffler experience. Um, Go check out his channel and I did a, an interview on his channel this past week. So not the best quality because we kind of did it over, uh, I did it over cell phone. My, my Wi-Fi was acting up and I did it over cell phone data. So some of the words don't sync up perfectly, but it was a good little interview and uh, it was great getting to talk with him. He's he's the next level player and he's, he's crushing it. So yeah, it's great to uh, connect with him and share with his audience kind of my story a little bit. Check that out. Diabtu says, greetings, Mr. Rosehart. Greetings. James says, I think in one of the recent live Q&As you mentioned about $5,000 down. Is it possible to put $5,000 down or did I miss here? So James, I, I'm not sure what you're referring to when you're buying a property, it's relative to the purchase price, right? So in theory, you could find something where you put a very small amount of money down and you could on a pre-build construction for a $200,000 condo, the deposit might only be $5,000 down. Yeah, it's very possible. Some deals when you lock them up, it is a very small amount of money down. I don't know about buying property at $5,000 down. That's very rare unless you're paying expensive lender fees on a first and second mortgage. It exists, but it's not, uh, it's not the most common. Sorry, I just moved my camera. Next question. Are minimum monthly payments on a HELOC or LOC only the interest or is it higher minimum based on mon money used? So if you have nothing drawn down on your HELOC, your payment is zero. Um, that's, there is no principal or interest. But typically the HELOCs are designed so that you pay mostly just the interest and there's a small, small, small amount which is designed 
to keep uh, slowly paying down the principal. But really the HELOC is not like a mortgage where you're paying a large percentage of that payment towards principal repayment. It's a very small amount, typically on the lines of credits. And some of the lines of credits I have set up have no, I don't wanna say that for sure, but I'm pretty sure they have no principal pay down. So that's that can be a big, big piece at the end of the day. Oh, we got a super chat. Let's scroll down here. Harpeet. Hey Mike, thank you for your mentorship. Keep up the great work. Any suggestions on finding good tenants for a first time landlord? What are good places to advertise? Hiji, Facebook Marketplace, and also student rentals. Good options during a pandemic. Uh, yeah, I mean, the pandemic adds a layer of complexity, I think, in general, trying to deal with, you know, showings, trying to get people out because no one wants to move now during a, a pandemic is obviously a challenge. That's why there's opportunity here, I think, in this market for those who are willing to take those risks and to go out there and do that. But yeah, I think a big piece of surviving and thriving really in a pandemic is getting really good quality video footage, putting it on a YouTube link, and every single person that inquires through Facebook, Kijiji, um, PadMapper, and you know, you could put it on Realtor if you wanted to. There's lots of places you could post it, but my two favorite places are Kijiji and Facebook Marketplace. Facebook Marketplace being my favorite. Um, and make sure you send it a video. That's a big one is so people can see the space, they can see what they're dealing with. And in most cases, they already know before they get there if they want the place. So you have an application already ready, you already sent it to them, they've seen the video, then you do an in-person showing to, to seal the deal. I see a lot of rookies starting out where they'll do the screening and that with tenants and then the, the tenant will say, hey, I wanna see the place. I'll tell you all my information after. And that's a mistake. Like as a landlord, you don't wanna be wasting your time with dozens of people who are maybe interested and then not even be good qualified tenants. So you're just wasting your time meeting them there. Half of them won't even show up. That's very, very common where there'll be no shows, especially if you haven't texted them an hour before the showing. I've seen about a 50% show rate. So the important thing to do when trying to place tenants is to make sure you do a good quality ad, great pictures, lots of important bullet point descriptors about the unit. If it has laundry, if it has dishwasher, if it has you know certain amenities, where's it close to, what bus routes is it on? Etc. and so forth. You want to really sell the unit in that ad and that'll attract hopefully good quality people depending on what you're looking for. If it's short-term rental versus, you know, an executive rental versus medium-term rental versus long-term rental versus family versus students. There's so many different options, right? So you can, you can place your ad to target certain people and then you could choose to pay for those ads to run to get more exposure. In some situations, I will pay for marketing and advertising to bump my ad to the top of the to the top of the search for that selected group of, you know, say student or whatever I'm looking for. And that can make sense, especially in this market where it actually isn't going very well for this, I guess the tenant market and the student market right now here in London and specifically through COVID. Um, the top 25% of people are richer than they've ever been. You know, there's almost no job layoff. Everyone's been continuing to make money and working from home through this pandemic, but those are the bottom, you know, half of society are mostly tenants. And those folks are really struggling through this pandemic, it's affected them um, more adversely than any other group. And so that's something you have to factor in is that right now, tenants don't have a lot of money. Like a lot of people don't have money to move. They don't have money to upgrade. And the cost of rents have risen so much in the last few years that a lot of people haven't adjusted to the new market rents yet, right? And they just don't have the excess extra capital right now. So it, well, real estate prices are soaring. And I think we'll get another 15 or 20% appreciation again this year because of low interest rate pressure there's almost no supply in the market at all right now in London and specifically in Southwestern Ontario, there's a really big lack of supply. I think that what we're going to see is a pressure on pushing prices up, but there's not, that's not actually 
um, what we're seeing in the rental market. There isn't that same pressure. So prices are going up, but rents are actually not going up right now. We're seeing it a little bit tougher for landlords to find tenants and find the right tenants. There's a lot of low quality tenants looking for places um, that are being pushed out as properties are being sold. But it's one of those things where um, just, I can't believe it, Jonas. Like, just stay, no, no, I'm not putting up with that today. Um, just come on here and throw shade. That's literally all he does. Just comes on here and throws shade. Um, I'm gonna come see you in your room after I teach you a lesson. Um, I shave your head while you're sleeping. See if you need a haircut. I wasn't gonna say, uh, he thinks it's an out. So uh, back to the question, I, I lost my, my train of thought. Um, student rentals can be good during the pandemic. They've been obviously negatively affected. There's less students physically in the school and there's still lots of student rentals. So there's probably more supply than there is demand on the rental side. But that doesn't mean you can't find a good tenant right now. You just have to work a little harder. Um, that's all, all part of it, right? Just to find a good candidate. You're gonna have 10 candidates that are no good for the one candidate that's perfect for your property. And that's what you're looking for is a good fit for your property. And yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, that's, that's key. Yeah, um, I think I answered that whole question, but other good places. So the places I, I think I mentioned already, Kijiji and Facebook Marketplace are my two favorite places to advertise. You can go to paid sites too. There are other places you can just do Google um, London for rent and you'll see a couple other sites that pop up. I, uh, I don't use those very much, to be honest. I'm mostly on Kijiji and Facebook, but I hear things that are positive about other sites that people use. So yeah, I'll scroll up here. Whenever you super chat, you get you know first priority. So that's why I jump right down. I think in one of the recent Q and A's, we did that question. So there, there's where I am. I'm back to, to here. Advantages of buying real estate in a corp versus personal. So Vince, I've answered this question on the channel before. And I think that, um, you know, a big piece of deciding that question comes down to personal circumstance. And there's no way to really say one way or the other is a, is a better fit for you without knowing your situation. Um, but some of the things you might think about when deciding whether to, to buy property in a corp or, or in a your personal name would be how you're going to finance it. So if you have a good job right now and no rental properties and maybe your income isn't that high that you're at the top marginal bracket, it can make sense to buy in your personal name. It's cheaper on insurance. Your financing terms will be better and cheaper. Um, there'll be just ease. You're not going to have to deal with, uh, wow, this guy, because he just gave me $5. I'm going to acknowledge his question. Um, you can cut my hair, right? You can cut my hair yourself if you want. Call on the stream right now and cut my hair. I'm just kidding. Don't, don't come cut my hair. Actually, I, I, it'll look worse. Um, I'll, I'll talk to Elise and see if we can coordinate at least help cuts half of my hair. Cause you know, it's hard to see all of it, but I do definitely need a haircut. There's, there's no doubt because he's super talented. I get to acknowledge his question. This guy, um, what was I saying? I lost my train of thought on that one. I was talking about, um, buying real estate corp. Oh, a corp versus personal. Um, so I think another piece is like what your tax rate is currently. Do you want the headaches of having a corporation you have to incorporate, which costs you know money on the accounting side, the administrative side, the legal side. Um, if you do minutes every year, you're gonna have to do now corporate financial returns as well as personal financial returns. So every time you draw money from the corp in your personal name, you have to file, pay tax in the corp and then take it out as a dividend. And then you have to declare tax on that personally. So it's just, it's a tax nightmare to buy property inside of a corp and there is no tax savings. Passive real estate assets, because Trudeau put in the new tax rules, passive real estate assets in a corp are taxed at the max marginal bracket. So no matter what, when you own real estate passively,
in a corp, you're going to pay the max marginal tax bracket. So you're losing at least half right away of your rental income gone. So that's something to think about. People think there's these advantages to owning in a corp, and there isn't. There's advantages to flipping in a corp. There's advantages to, um, there can be advantages to being in a corp if you're like doing it as an active business. If you had a huge portfolio of properties and you employed staff to manage that, that could make sense. Um, but yeah, 20 minutes in, eh? You know, it's, you know, it's kind of challenging. We didn't think I could keep this under 30 minutes. So I'm going to keep today's stream under 30 minutes, just to teach him a lesson. And then I'm going to take his $5. And YouTube takes like, I think it's like 25% or something. Um, but the, the other $3 or something, I'm going to take it and have a smoothie and I'm going to enjoy myself. And I'm going to drink that smoothie in front of him and just enjoy my, my nice luscious uh, curls. Hey, Mike, just found your videos. Quick question. Are you still doing mentorship? Um occasionally occasionally i try not to do coaching calls only because the coaching calls i try to focus on thousand dollar an hour tasks and coaching calls are by definition like in my stage of the game 150 200 bucks an hour um, maybe a little bit more if you can line them up so it doesn't usually make sense plus i find that i'm often after the call thinking about that person and their problems for the next hour so it takes away from solving my own problems and my own portfolio and so the problem with coaching is that it's um there's nothing wrong with it. It's just, unless you had a, unless I had a business where I had a system set up and I had someone that could help triage those calls and I had someone that could maybe get on the line with me and do a lot of the calls, then it would make sense. Um, so it doesn't really make sense for me to have a coaching or mentoring business. People who have coaching and mentorship businesses that do the coaching and mentoring themselves are basically not valuing themselves at what I believe someone at that level who you'd want to pay to coach should be valuing themselves at. So... For now, I, I do the occasional coaching calls, um, very far and few between. But uh, I do have the two mentees and they've become more friends, to be honest. But yeah, I do some mentoring for folks occasionally. The next question was a follow-up from Michael G. What do you think about using margin on investments to pull out money and private lend? Uh, I think it makes good sense to margin or it depends how you're margining, I guess, but to put like a secured line of credit against your stock portfolio, great idea. Cause you can get it like three, 4% interest, take that capital and go put it to work at 12 to 15%. Leverage makes good investments. Great. Uh, I also believe when I'm buying stocks, if I can get a cost of debt of four or 5%, I also lever like, let's look at the scenario here. Cause someone is, was talking to me about this the other day about real estate. And I want to do a whole video just on this, but let's look at like a company like Enbridge. Um, they're, you know, they, they resell gas, basically natural gas to houses. So it's a pretty stable utility company. And they're paying, you know, around seven or eight, let's call it in the in COVID, they're doing 8% dividend. So a company like that paying an 8% dividend, you're gonna get capital appreciation over time, but you're also gonna get a dividend of 8% a year. Now, if I could buy that using a line of credit and put 25% down, 75% was returned back in a secured line of credit, very common in the private banking world, people build stock portfolios and they basically pull back um, you know, about a third or about three quarters, I think is, is about the average, but let's say, let's say 25 to 30% down and the rest is pulled back in, in credit. Now, if you could buy Enbridge and you put a hundred thousand dollars into Enbridge shares, or you could put a hundred thousand dollars into real estate in a basic average real estate deal, you've got on a hundred thousand dollar down payment, you could buy, let's say 25% down, you buy a $400,000 property. Now in London, on average, that might produce you a thousand dollars a month in, in cash flow and in positive cash flow to retire on. And it's not that passive because you still have to actively manage that. Whereas with Enbridge, you do nothing. You put the money in and they send you dividend checks. Like that's it. And with real estate, you might have to go check on the property. You might have to manage your manager. 
there's going to be things you have to deal with with the property. It's not as passive. So you should get a little bit more return you'd expect for that work. But with the Enbridge, imagine I put $100,000 in and I can buy $400,000 in Enbridge shares because leverage, because I can take debt and buy awesome companies like Enbridge is an example. I've, I've just picked them because they have a good dividend. There's lots of other companies that are better than them and I'm not by any means saying you should go buy them. Um, I have a, a small amount of their shares in my portfolio, but uh, I, I will say this. Let's say that 8% dividend. Let's look at that four to one leverage, right? So my $400,000 um, shares of Enbridge, I only put $100,000 of my own money into that. So I have these shares in Enbridge and I've got a cost of debt on, on $300,000 of it. Let's call it 3%. So I've got $9,000 a year in interest costs. This is quick math in my head. I'm really tired today. So if I make a mistake, sorry, it's just for illustration purposes. I got $9,000 in debt. My $400,000 shares, I got an 8% return, right? That's 8,000 times four is $32,000 in dividends a year. Just on my ownership of Enbridge shares that I put 100,000 of my own money into. Now I got $32,000 a year. I got a cost of debt of 8,000, right? So what do we got left? We got $24,000. That's $2,000 a month in real passive income because I bought Enbridge shares instead of a rental property. So for me, sometimes cashing out can make sense. And when you look at like holding a stock portfolio levered, versus holding real estate levered, it can make more sense to do levered stock investing. And that's where I've been selling some of my portfolio off. Now, what you're not factoring in is appreciation. So I assume Enbridge shares might go up 10% over the next year. If that happens, my original $100,000 investment goes up 40%, right? If it goes down, the same thing can happen, right? So I'm buying companies that I believe in long-term that have solid dividends that I'm not planning to sell. So if two years from now, Enbridge shares are down, oh well, right? Um, it's one of those things where you got to really run your numbers. You got to say, hey, what makes sense? With real estate, I think that there's, it's more tangible. It's more, you can control it when you're just getting started in your journey. It's, you can really help it outperform. When you get to my stage, you can't possibly manage as many properties as I have wealth to deploy. And so it makes sense to put into more passive means because real estate isn't as passive as say, buying shares of Enbridge levered. But it really does make sense to shift your wealth, I think, into a stock portfolio later on. And you can get the same types of returns as in, as in real estate. In real estate, if it goes up 10%, your down payment that you put the $100,000 into goes up 40% as well, right? Because you're levered. Um, so that's where it, you just got to run your numbers, I guess, is the, the point I was trying to make. And I want to make a video on this. I think too many people think that you can't lever up in the stock market. And they think that you can with real estate. And it is easier to lever in real estate. But it, once you've built a little bit of net worth, it, it actually makes sense. A lot of people I talk to have these real estate portfolios that are large. And I'm like, you should, like, they're not, they're like, oh, I'm never gonna sell. That's a bad mentality because they should sell. They actually get more by, you know, selling off these properties that they have 50% paid off and just re-levering and buying companies like Enbridge um, levered. So it can make a lot of sense to sell your real estate portfolio off as you grow along the, the journey. But anyway, I'll circle back to the questions here. I wanna stay under, um, what do you call it? 30 minutes here, that's my goal. Do a power round here and see if I can get caught up. Where was the question? Hey Mike, what are your thoughts on flipping homes in Guelph area? I'm planning on flipping two homes a year with my buddy going 50-50 on the costs. So Will, if, if you're loving it and you're having fun with your buddy doing it, do it. There's nothing wrong with flipping in Guelph or flipping in London or flipping KWC or wherever. Um, any market you can flip in, you just need to make sure that you're careful with what you're buying. Look at buying 60 to 70 cents on the renovated dollar, making sure you've got enough margin. There's at least 20% margin after your renovation costs. So if I'm buying a $250,000 house, it better be worth $400,000 when I'm done with a $50,000 rental for it to make sense in the numbers. A lot of people are buying flips that have super tight margins and that's where I get a little bit scared 
it comes down to it. And so make sure that you set up a really good joint venture contract with your partner in case things don't go well. I see that happen a lot in flips as people end up running into issues with their partners and that's where things really deteriorate. So making sure that you lay out the terms clearly, um, it can make more sense sometimes to uh, separate the roles and the titles and the responsibilities so you can be super clear on who's doing what. And if someone doesn't honor their side of the bargain, what are the repercussions on that? I'm doing that. Don't leverage over 50%. The real limit is 70% and invest in diversified portfolio. If the market drops in March, you'd be okay. My margin, 2.7% loan at 15%. There you go. So you can you can definitely use that to go into private lending too and other spaces. D. How to says, I have had plenty of people interested in renting not show up. I agree. Are you saying that qualify the potential tenant before showing them the place they want to rent? D. How to, yes. I never show a place until they've seen the video and they've confirmed with me that they've seen the entire walkthrough video. And I'm like, hey, what did you think of the place? Were there any particular questions you had after watching the video? If you've not seen the property on video walkthrough, and just go with your phone and take like a nice slow moving video and you know, set the property up, turn all the lights on, make it look nice, and then take a little video like two minutes long so they can get a feel for the place. And when you're walking around, talk about things. Hey, there's in-suite laundry. Hey, there's a nice fenced in backyard when you look out the window in the back room, whatever. Like just walk around and talk about the property. Do what you would do on a showing. Then they've seen that virtually. In many cases during this, you know, COVID epidemic, pandemic, whatever you call it, sorry, um, pandemic, I suppose. There's been people renting without even seeing properties. So that I've rented properties, several of them, to people just on video. So you may not, not have to even show the property. You might be able to rent it from your basement. You might have to go to the property, or I've even paid someone to go take the video for me, clean up the property when the tenants moved out, take the video for me, I post it, and I rent it without, and the lease is signed, first and last collected, and the people move in without ever, ever having physically seen the place. That happens a lot. Um, people are wasting a lot of time, spending a whole day doing showings, uh, you don't need to do that. You should qualify your tenant before. If your tenant won't give you the information before seeing the place, they're probably not the right tenant. You can just move on and go for the next tenant. Uh, I'm at my 30 minutes, guys. One more question, that's all. I'm gonna pick one. Um, uh, I, I think it can make sense to, to do it yourself in the beginning uh, to answer your question about whether to shoot the professional, but it's your call. It depends on the type of property. An average one bedroom rental doesn't matter, but maybe if it's a really nice high-end luxury property, it could make sense. You could get that extra by having a professional video shot in the property. Uh, in the case of, of your property specifically, the one you're asking about, there is already a 3D virtual tour. I could send you the iGuide for that if you want, because I know the property that you bought. And so you could just send that iGuide link out and they could click through the whole property and it's fully staged and it was taken with all you know fantastic pictures. So I would just use that in, the, in this case and just send them the link when you have a really good tenant and you'll be able to rent it probably without them even actually having to physically go there. So that's huge for you not being in the city. Uh, what gave me the mentality to be frugal? Growing up poor, <laughs> not expecting a lot, realizing that money is very important. Okay, I gotta wrap this up guys. I promised that I would keep this at 30 minutes and that's what I'm gonna do. I'll pick one last question here. Hey, no problem, happy to help our beat. Um, I'll pick this last one. What would you consider over leverage, under leverage? Is there a percentage the real estate portfolio uses rule of thumb? So I like a five to one leverage or a four to one leverage. That's kind of my preferred when I'm buying solid assets that I feel really, really good about um, that have solid cash flow to debt service. And it's more about the debt servicing to me than it is about the leverage ratio. I feel better about 
the fact that I know if I'm gonna buy a property, I might be able to hold it throughout a crash if I had to, because it is positive cash flow and services all the debt. So that's the biggest thing is when you're bu- when you're buying on leverage, don't be buying growth tech stocks like Tesla or whatever, something that's high risk, not the Tesla's high risk, but like a growth stock that doesn't pay a solid dividend, because then what's gonna pay the interest costs? If you levered up and you got $9,000 a year in interest costs, who's paying that interest? If you don't have dividends coming in to make those payments, you might be stuck making those payments. And if the stock goes down in value, you might be stuck making those payments on and owning shares on a company that you've overpaid for, in which case, that's why I like to buy dividend play stocks when I lever up. So same with real estate. I like to buy strong cash flow in real estate when I lever up. But anyway, thank you all so much for watching. I really appreciate it. We got just over 30 minutes or 32 minutes. So thank you all so much for watching and we'll see you next week. And I'll see you on my Instagram at Mike Rosart. If you want to follow along and jump on my stories and in my DMs, I'm on there all the time, every single day, like 10 times a day. So I'll see you all online. And um, remember, the secret to unlocking a wealth through you is to spend less, earn more and maximize returns. And if you're watching the replay right now, smash the like button. It really means a lot. If you engage in the content, drop a comment. If I missed your, your question tonight, copy and paste that question right now before I close the video down. And then when I hit end and I post this video in about two minutes, comes back for live replay, you can post your, your question right there in the comments. I'll go back on tonight and I'll answer all those comments publicly for everyone who didn't get their question answered. So thanks again for watching and I'll see you next week. Bye everyone. Spend less, earn more, and maximize returns.